middle of a series called What Works, and uh, we've been on this journey for a little while, and we've got a little bit longer to go because there's a lot of things that work uh, that we need to discover. But really, this, this, this series is based around the idea that God gives us some principles, and we believe the principles of Scripture still work today. Uh, they might have been scripted by man, inspired by God uh, thousands of years ago, but as we apply them to our life today, that, that God still works. God's principles still work in this day and age. God's not caught off by what's the society we live in. In fact, God knows, uh, but God also knows what works. But really when it comes to the question of what works, you know, people ask, well, does God work? Well, the question to that is really, well, what do you expect God to do for you? Because that, that quiz, well, does church work? Well, well, what are you hoping church will do? Because once I know what you mean by that question, then I can tell you whether it's going to do that or not. Church has worked in many ways for me. Uh, I found my wife in church. That worked. And uh, many different things. But church has worked in terms of building friendships. But church has worked in terms of drawing me closer to God, encouraging me, lifting me, being there, when having people around me when I've needed them. Uh, release dreams, release purpose in my life. Church has worked, but I've also had to learn uh, how to operate and use church, not use it like in the wrong sense, but, but apply the concept of church to my life. Because when it comes to what works, it's not just us giving you the principles, but it's also uh, helping you to understand how the principles actually work. How do you use that? Does giving work? Yes, but if you do it right, <laughs> if, you, if you, you, can, you can give yourself to your broke and have no breakthrough, uh, but because you can do it out of the wrong heart, the wrong motive, the wrong space, giving works when you use it right, when you give right, when you got the right heart of generosity. I, before doing what I do today, I was a tradesman and uh, I just like to let people know that it makes me feel a little bit more manly. And anyway, we'll carry on with the sermon. Now, before before doing what I do today, I was a, I was a tradesman, and every now and again, you get an apprentice start with you, and you'd say, hey, can you go get a certain tool and use it to do this? And then you'd go over to see what they're doing. They've grabbed the wrong tool, and they're using it in the wrong way. It's not a bad tool. They're just using it in the wrong way. And one thing we can realize, actually, using tools in the wrong way can do a lot of damage. It can do a lot of damage. And even when it comes to the principles of God, it's not just knowing what they are. It's also knowing how to use them, how, how to use them. In fact, uh, even when it comes to the things of God, you know, when I was first started out in one of my first jobs as a cabinet maker, one of the things we'd have was a big table saw. Now, I won't get too detailed because I'm going to lose half of you already. Uh, but we had this big saw that was powerful, and you had to cut timber on it. You still with me? All right. A bit of a lesson, DIY lesson here at Equipment Church, equipping you for life. And uh, we'd, we'd have to cut on this table saw, uh, but it was, it was extremely powerful. In fact, one day, our, our, our uh, lunchroom was on the wall behind the saw, and one day my boss was cutting on the saw, and it was this powerful that a bit of wood jammed in it and then flung out, and it smashed straight through the wall and landed on our table. And so it, that's, how, that's how kind of powerful this saw was. So when my boss was kind of inducting me to use it, uh, he, he's showing me the saw, and uh, part of the, the reason he'd sh how he'd show us how powerful it was, he'd turn it on and he'd throw a bit of wood at it, and you'd watch it hit the ceiling. <laughs> and he'd go, what you got to be aware of is actually if you approach this saw too nervous, it's dangerous. 
So you need to have an element of confidence because the more you second guess yourself with how to use it, the more chance of you doing damage are going to be there. So you need to approach it with confidence. But then he went on to say this, but you can't approach it with familiarity. Because the moment you become familiar with the saw, you're in chance of doing, dan- of doing dan- uh, damage to yourself because you forget how powerful this thing really is. And, and which, I was a Christian at the time, which was an amazing concept to me because it's the same with God. God calls us to approach Him with confidence. Now come boldly come into my court, approach me with confidence, but don't approach me with familiarity. Jesus dying on the cross means we can confidently come to God, but in that confidence, don't forget that He is God. Don't forget that He is Lord, the name above all names. He is our sovereign King. That God is almighty, but I can confidently approach Him in His power, in His glory, and in His grace. And it's this idea that we don't just need to learn who God is, but we also need to learn how, how do we apply God to our world, to our life? How, how do we do this in this day and age? And I've found in life, often there's, there's things I'd like to do until I find out what's involved in doing it. Like, I like the idea of running a marathon one day. I just don't like the idea of running that long. You know, like, I like, I like, it's, I like the idea of eating healthy, until you have to eat healthy. Uh, there's things in life where we like the idea. I like the idea of skydiving until the thought of jumping out of a plane. There's things we, we like the idea of, but we don't like to embrace the, the reality of what it means to, to engage in that activity. A lot of people like the idea but, but when it comes to actually, actually embracing some of the things it means to get the benefits of that thing, that's what they're like, oh, I don't know. Like the amount of people I'd say that, that, that we talk with and they're like, what I really want is just like a, like a group of friends that would be good for me and would really call out the destiny in my life and would champion me to keep going stronger in God and would be there in my tough times. I want that kind of group around me. And we're like, well, have you tried e-group? Oh, I'm a bit busy on Tuesday nights. I like the idea of what that space can produce, but I don't really want to embrace the, the, the necessary actions to actually receive from that space. It's like I want the reward with no work. And there's some things even in Christianity that don't work overnight. They work over time. There's some things in God that change overnight, and there's some things in God that change over years. That develop over years. In fact, there's things even in life like this. This moment, I was reading Psalm 106 earlier on this week, and the scripture popped out to me in Psalms 106, verse 16. It says, This is talking of a time, it's the psalmist is writing about when the Israelite people were in the wilderness and they're starting to turn their back on God. And so some things are really coming against them because they're, they're turning their back on God's ways. But then they look at Moses and Aaron. Uh, who, who were still dedicated to the way God had called them to live. And in Psalm 106, verse 16, it says, In the camp they grew envious of Moses and Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. There's a something rose in the camp. They said, we want the favor, the blessing that Moses and Aaron carry. We're jealous of that. But what the people didn't want to do is consecrate themselves to the Lord. So I, I, want, I want the blessing of God, 
but I don't, I don't want to embrace the obedience of God. Like I want uh, Moses and Aaron lived in the, under the hand and favor of God, but they also lived under the direction and obedience to God. Not perfection before God, but a heart that was towards God. And the Israelite camp decided they wanted to do things their own way, but they still wanted the hand of God with them. And now they're over here looking at them and saying, hey, we're, God, why are you doing that? And that the call to God was no. God desires that they would live under His obedience and under His blessing. But they had to choose. And they wanted God's blessing, but didn't want to embrace God's obedience towards God. It's, it's like people nowadays more and more often find people, people want to follow Jesus their way. I want to do church my way. We're not here to try and, try and do Jesus our way. We're trying, here trying to do Jesus the, the way the Bible tells us to do this relationship with Jesus. I say, you have the decision on whether you follow Jesus or not, but you don't have the decision on what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus decides what it means to follow me. I choose if I want to follow him or not. But a lot of people want to tell Jesus how they want to follow him. But it's God who created you. It's God who knows you. It's God who lays the plans out for you. So it's, it's not about, okay, God, how do I want to follow you? And so it's looking at Scripture and saying, okay, God, what are some of the principles, the ways in which you're telling me on how to follow you forward? There's other moments in Scripture, even if you look at Psalms 92, this is, this is the famous one that says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13 says this, They planted, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the tents. Oh, sorry, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will be fresh and flourishing. Some translations say fresh and green. But here you have the, have the psalmist telling us, hey, there's a way to live a life in old age that's still fresh and flourishing. And I look at that and go, I, I, I want in my older years to still live in a way that I'm bearing fruit and being fresh and flourishing. I love the fact that in the encounter just on the weekend, we had a guy come up for prayer, 72 years old. Comes up for prayer, been part of church for a long time. Comes up for prayer because he's like, I still feel like God's got more ahead of me. I still want God to use my life to minister. And I'm like standing, I'm like 72 years old. There's a life that's still fresh, still flourishing. And then he goes on, I've been part of the church for 22 years now. Well, how do you end up in your old age still fresh and flourishing? Well, Psalms tells us you plant yourself in the house. See, a lot of people want the fresh and flourishing, but they don't want the planted. But if you'd embrace what it means to plant yourself, to commit to the house of the Lord, to commit to the, the people of God, to put yourself in an environment, not temporary, not for a month, not for a year, but if you would plant your life here, you'll find in your old age, you'll be fresh and you'll be flourishing. I love the older community part of our church because they've planted themselves here for years and you talk to some of them and they've got more energy than a lot of us in this room, more, more ambition towards what God God wants to do. Why? Because they've planted themselves. So the results of that is a sense of fresh and flourishing. And so in order to take hold of some of the, 
the blessings that come through a life of following God, you've got to also embrace the process God lays out in front of us. One of these things I want to look at tonight is that I want to look at, at Proverbs 28 verse 13. Because it says this, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Finds mercy. But even in the reading of the scripture, for a lot of us, that word confess, it's a word we got funny relationship with. It's a word for many that make people feel uneasy. The confessing of my sin. Well, what's Proverbs saying? Uh, here, he's uh, saying, actually, if we conceal our sin, what do we do? We, we will not prosper. Well, I want to live a, a life that prospers in God. So part of that, he goes on to say, well, it's, it's in the confessing of your sin you find the mercy of God. And I, I want to quickly look at tonight and oppose the idea to you that confession works. That confession works. We don't, we don't have confessionals, <laughs> but sometimes in the modern era of church, we've lost some of the power that comes through confessing, some of the freedom that can be found through confessing. And I, I want to look tonight at the idea that, that, that maybe perhaps your relationship with confession is, is a little bit wrong. That actually confession shouldn't be something you are scared of, but something you find freedom in, something you actually find hope in, you find mercy in, you find forgiveness in. In fact, that's the desire, uh, the desire for confession. But for many of us, uh, we, look, we look at it sometimes as an old practice, but I, I believe it's actually a lost practice that, that we could actually reclaim to discover the benefits and the freedoms that come through, through confession. In fact, a lot of us uh, uh, have a bit of a misrepresented kind of picture of what this whole concept of confession is, perhaps because when we were younger and, 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 and th- we got found out for doing things wrong, we were disciplined. Well, the response was, was harsh, the response was angry, the response was shame. I remember as a, as a 11-year-old, our, 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 our school teacher had these stacks of CDs. These were back when we had CDs, they're these round disc things, if you don't know what they are. And uh, they're not as cool as records, uh, but maybe in 30 years they will be. But uh, there, there was CDs, and it was raining one day, and uh, so we, we were stuck inside for lunch, so we started a game of rugby inside. And as part of that, I put a little bit of a kick through. Uh, and as I put the kick through, I'm not a kicker. I was a lock. I shouldn't be kicking. And uh, I hit, hit the CD stack, and it all just smashed on the ground. And then we just try and tidy them up, and... We put them all back, and the teacher walks in the room for the end of the day and sees all his CDs smashed, and all the classes sitting there, and he has, has, has us sitting there, and he goes, I want whoever, whoever smashed my CDs to stand up. And you know, like primary school kids, everyone knows who done it, so it's just like all the eyes are on me. And so I stand up, and then he just went on to like rip me out in front of the class, and I thought... I was doing the right thing, trying to take ownership of this. I'm like, I ain't ever owning up to it again. (laughs) And a lot of us, it's because of our response we've found 
when we've opened up about some weak areas in our lives, some fall shorts in our life, it's caused us to now have this wrong relationship with confession, this wrong idea, sometimes the way it's portrayed around us. You see, because at the end of the day, when it comes to our sin, the nature of sin is that what it wants you to do is it wants you to, first of all, hide, because what shame does is, uh, what sin does is it brings shame on you. In fact, Adam and Eve, when they first ate, their first response was shame. Well, we need to cover ourselves. And then Adam's response to being confronted by God was then to blame. Well, God, it's that woman you put here with me. So, so Adam's initial response to, to the weaknesses in his own life was first shame and then was to blame. But real freedom is discovered not when we stay in shame and then blame when when, when things are brought to the surface. Freedom's discovered when there's openness and ownership. Okay, this is where I'm at and, and this is the reality. Okay, I have fallen short, but I need help. Openness, I wonder what that conversation with God would have been like for the rest of humanity if, if Adam had just responded with openness and honesty. Hey, hey God, we made a mistake here. Because what we've learned about the rest of the nature of God, that's all God's really asking of us. It's not that we'd live in perfection, but that we'd live in openness. And understanding of our weakness. Because understanding that He's a God, that when we confess our sins, we find mercy. We find mercy. I remember as a kid, my mum... Uh, used to sew us clothes. I was super cool. And uh, <laughs> my mum used to sew us clothes. It was before Kmart or anything was around. So if you couldn't, if you, I didn't want my sister's hand-me-downs. And so the other option was mum was like, okay, I'll make you some clothes. <laughs> and so she made me some shorts. God bless her. And uh, she put a lot of effort into them. And I remember it was one of my earliest rem- Memories. It's the funny thing. It's funny what we remember as some of our earliest memories. And I, I still remember, I was, it must have been about six or seven, and I put these shorts on and I go running uh, down our driveway and I jump our gate because we had a river next to our house and we we're going to uh, hang out in the river. And, uh, and as I jump the gate, there's a wire and it rips up my shorts. It rips my shorts right up the back. And I, rem- I still remember my feeling in that moment. It wasn't like, oh, my new shorts, I'm so gutted. But my response wasn't even that, oh, mum's going to get angry at me. That, that wasn't even my feeling. My response was, oh, mum put a lot of effort into this and she's going to be disappointed in me. And I, I feel like for a lot of us, even when it comes to our relationship with God and even relationship with, with others and other Christians, we understand, we're mature enough now to know that God's not angry at me because of my sin. But for a lot of us, we still live in the space of feeling like God's disappointed in you. It's like God's given me this new life and he must be disappointed in the way I'm living. And for a lot of us, that's actually more of our attitude when we talk about confession. We don't want to disappoint God. And we don't want to disappoint the image We've, we've created others to believe in us. See, that's the danger of the era we live in, is, is people are open to everyone. Social media, be real. You know, just, it's like, I'll put my real, I'm open to everyone. 
The danger is we're not vulnerable to anyone. We have this sense of openness, but we don't have a, a, a real relationships of vulnerability. And I'd, I'd say it's actually in vulnerability where, where you take hold of the, the power that can be released through, through confession. Because if you even look at, at some of the interactions Jesus has, there's moments when guys like Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, Jesus ended up in his house for lunch. And he didn't, he didn't even confront Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus in that moment just felt led to confess to Jesus. Everything I've stolen from anyone, I'm going to give it back to them. There was something about the nature of Jesus that they understood. This is a man I can confess my deepest kind of disappointments, my deepest uh, weaknesses to. When, when people around Jesus, Peter himself, who was supposed to be Jesus' right-hand man, when he denied Jesus three times, the first time he saw Jesus after that experience wasn't to hide in shame. It was to run right up to Jesus. There's something that they understood about the person, the nature of Jesus. When I've gone wrong, when I've made mistakes, Jesus is someone I run to. He's someone I go and confess to because he's the one I can actually help me through this. And a lot of us struggle with the idea of confession often because we, we still struggle with the idea of God's mercy towards our sin. We still think, well, now God saved me. I should be perfect. No, God saved you knowing you're not gonna be perfect. He designed you, he created you, and he loves you knowing you're not gonna be perfect. God's mercy is forever towards you. Like I've said, whether you wake up and read the Bible in the morning or not, God still loves you. A lot of people feel so bad because they don't read the Bible in the morning, like God's disappointed in them. No, God doesn't care if you read the Bible or not. The, the, the God loves you regardless. What reading the Bible does is help you understand more about that love, help you understand more about the God that's for you. Help, so, so I read the Bible in the morning because it helps me. It doesn't please God or make me more pleasing to God. But the question then is, well, if it's God who forgives me, why should I have to tell somebody else? <laughs> but I, I want to suggest tonight that there's power that's found both in the confession to God, but there's even a greater power that's found in the confession to one another. The confession to one another. Because I would say the confession to one another isn't so much about your forgiveness, but it is about your freedom. That my confession to God, my acceptance of his, what he did on the cross forgives me, but my conversations with other people is where God helps bring freedom to me. And the danger is, is that, that solitude is a dangerous place because it will leave us alone in our struggle. And you, you might have messed things up because of sin, but things remain messed up because of shame. And I believe if we can learn to build a community that can overcome shame and help people find freedom, we're in a long way to going to helping building healthier people. And so I just got three quick things as we finish tonight that I, I want to put to you to say, well, well if God f forgives me, why do I need to share somebody with somebody else? I just wanna give you three ideas that I believe what confession does to your life and what you can find in confession. First of all, scripture tells us that confession brings healing. That confession brings healing. James 5 talks about, and, 
And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so, so that you may be healed. You may be healed. There's something that's released in a conversation when you can just open up to somebody and say, hey, hey, this is, this is where I'm at. This is what's really going on. There's a healing that can take place, not even by the good counsel you get back, by that interaction alone. There's a, there's a lot of relationships that have been, restored, have been destroyed because they weren't prepared to sit down and just have that conversation. But there's something powerful in just sitting down and saying, hey, hey, this is where I've fallen short. This is kind of what I'm going through. This is where I'm kind of struggling at the moment. There's a healing that the Bible talks about here that is, this, that is found or discovered through the confession to a friend or to another about what's going on and to your healing uh, is, is accessed when things are brought into the light. Because at the end of the day, when we leave things in the dark, we allow room for the enemy to then continue to manipulate and distort our understanding of that situation. Because people can be, can be uh, uh, moved on from the behavior, but the enemy still uses that scenario, that situation to keep the wound open to keep manipulating your understanding of it. And it's not until you sit down with someone and say, hey, hey, some stuff's gone on and it was pretty tough and I'm actually struggling right now that just bringing it into the light it releases the, 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 the room the enemy has to play on that situation because now, now, now it's in the open. You can find direction and healing in it, but when things are left in the dark, it enables the enemy room to continue to manipulate and stir and, and bring up those feelings. The fact is, it's when we walk in the light, God lifts the burden. God lifts the burden, but when we keep things in the dark, it gives the enemy room to keep bringing condemnation. And it allows room for the weight of shame. So a lot of people right now don't actually just live under the guilt of sin, they're living under the weight of shame the way to shame, but it's when you bring things into the light, the response is healing. The answer is healing. But for a lot of us, when we've brought things up, depending on our family upbringing and the different environments and relationships we've had, sometimes that hasn't been the response. But you gotta understand, we need to keep building a healthy community of people that understand, no, when things are brought up, it's brought up for healing. It's brought up to bring closure. It's brought up to bring, I was reading an article of a guy this week who is talking about just a Christian leader who embarked on a, on a journey of just open confession with a friend, a close friend of his. Every fortnight, they'll just sit down and just talk about the, the, the nitty gritty of where they're at. And the agreement was that you wouldn't give me advice on how to fix it. You'd just hear it and just say, well, you know that God's forgiven you for that. And he said that that experience over a few months has brought more joy, more life, more energy, more passion, more vision. Not because he's got an advice about his mistakes, it's just because he, he's got openness now. There's a light where he can hear the words from God, hey, hey, just know you're forgiven for that. God's not disappointed at you, God is for you. And then they just pray together. And he said that interaction has changed and revolutionized his relationship with God. The second thing I believe confession does is confession brings breakthrough. Confession loose, loosens the power the enemy has over the hidden things in our life. 
it brings breakthrough. It brings breakthrough. When we bring things into the light, the darkness can no longer exist there. In fact, 1 John, verse five, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That when things are brought to the light, it removes the power of any darkness can have. It's, it's the natural thing. It brings about breakthrough. The amount of times uh, I've had people sit across the table with me and just share, hey, I haven't told anyone, but this is, this is my struggle. And I haven't always given great advice. But the next time we've caught, I'd give the best advice I can. But I understand the power just in you confessing. Often I'll just say to people, the fact you said that is going to help you bring, get breakthrough in that. Because there's power in that confession. Then I catch up with them again, how's it been? A lot easier than ever before. Why? Because there's power in confession. There's power in it of just opening up. And like I said, there's a lot of people that are open to everyone but vulnerable to no one. And when we hide, we miss out. When we hide our lives, we miss out on the freedom we can have, the life we can have. And the last thing I, I would suggest what confession does is confession brings healing, confession brings breakthrough. But I'd also say confession deepens relationships. It deepens relationships. God hasn't designed us to do life with God alone. Since the beginning of time, God has designed us to do life in community. And not that we would just celebrate the highs, but we'd learn how to embrace each other in the lows. Now, I don't know about you, some of my closest friendships have formed not because of the great things we've gone through, but because of the tough things we've gone through. I was growing up, did a bit of hiking, a little bit of hunting, and I had a friend of a friend, you know, you got those friends, you're not that close to them, you just hang out with them because the other guy brings them along. And uh, anyway, one day, me and this other guy somehow ended up on, on, on this hunting trip together. And uh, we go on that trip and we're, we're mutual friends, we're not close, but we just thought oh, it'd be good, let's go hang out. Anyway, we get lost. We have to spend a night together in the bush. That experience brought us closer than any other friend I had at the time. It was funny, after that, for the next five years, we became, we became very close friends. Because it was actually in that night of, oh man, we're lost, we might die. <laughs> oh man, uh, I mean, heaven's going to be cool, but I wasn't done with earth. And uh, it was in the, it was in the, the tension and, and working that through and figuring it out together, our friendship grew. And I'd say a lot of people coming to church and find church at times can be quite shallow in terms of relationships. But I'd say what actually took church deeper for me is when I found a couple of people that I could actually open up to. Church shouldn't just be a worship experience and uniting around prayer. That's great. But depth of relationship happens when people know you. When there's people, you, you ever been in a foreign space and you've seen someone you know? Or like you ever been overseas and then you've run into a New Zealander or a Kiwi? And all of a sudden you just feel closer. <laughs> because there's a connection there. 
that no one else has. This place to me is home. Not because I know each one of you (laughs) deeply, but I can look around this room and go, hey, I, I know them and they know me. I don't know everyone in this space, but there's people that know me. I just want to say when it comes to your relationship with God, it's actually in the confession space and the sharing of our weaknesses, we actually grow in depth. In fact, 1 John goes on to say after what what we just read, he goes on in verse 6 to say, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. That is the Bible. He goes on then to say, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus and His Son purifies us from all sin. In the Scripture, you can understand what does confession do? What does living in the light do? What does living in open life do? It enables you to live in fellowship with God, but also fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. I want to I say, hey, if you're going to do lifelong in Christianity, you're going to need people. You're going to need people. And for some of us, there's been a blockage because while we've been celebrating the good things in our life, we've been struggling to open up the the struggles in our life. And I I just want to say, confession about where you're really at isn't something to be ashamed of, but it's something to say, hey, that's going to bring freedom. That's going to bring life. And the question for me tonight is not just can we get better at confession, The question really for me tonight is, could we be a community that has a safety to it, that allows people to be real in their weakness? Because some people struggle with confession because they've once tried it and their trust has been lost. But I want to say, let, let us be a community that has grace for one another. Not always has a vice, Sometimes you don't need our advice. You just need our grace. And I believe if you would live a life that is open and takes ownership, you'd discover a greater level of freedom in God than you've, you've ever found. You've ever found. My encouragement is to find somebody. Somebody mature in their faith. That you can sit with and just say, hey, there's, this is where I'm at. I would say that act alone will revolutionize your walk with God and it will revolutionize your, your experience of church when we learn to live open. Come on, God's not ashamed of you. God's not disappointed in you. God died for you because He loves you. And He just says, hey, there's a way where you can live free. You can live whole and you can live in my mercy. Those who confess, find mercy. Come on in God, you're not going to find anger. I pray here, you're not going to find disappointment. I pray here, you find mercy. Because in God, that's what you find. His embrace, His grace, and His way to move forward.